Welcome to Trashy Divorces, everybody. Another week. Another week. I'm Alicia. I'm Stacy. This week, we have worked our way to Frank Sinatra's third marriage and last divorce. And who was that with, Alicia? Oh, Mia Farrow. She was basically a child. Basically a child. Basically a child bride. Really good story, though. <laughs> really good story. And mm-hmm. the cat is the hero. So oh, without a doubt. We like that. And you have the pirate of love. Larry King, broadcast legend. Married and divorced enough times to enough different and same women that I had trouble with the math. How about that? There was a there was a lot of math going was a on little math. <laughs> in your story. What's the song? What's uh, our song this week? You make me feel so young. Do I? Yeah, you you make me feel there's songs to be sung. <laughs> and every time I see your face, oh I'm my such gosh. a happy okay, you're individual. Currently reaching across the table. Okay. I love it. Popular song. Composed by Yosef Myro mm-hmm. and Matt Gordon in 1946, introduced in the film Three Little Girls in Blue. And Sinatra recorded it in 1956, and uh, pretty much one of his standards, one of his signature it's a songs. Good, it's, a good, it's a good song, and I thought very fitting for the week of Frank and Mia. Before, <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate. Okay. Before... <laughs> But you see where I was going with that. Mm-hmm. Before we get to the episode on Patreon this week, lots of fun over there. I totally fangirled about Six the Musical. Oh, yeah, you did. Mm-hmm. Six the Musical is coming to Broadway. How can you not? It's so good. We did a in-depth reporting for Ocean's Eleven on Dorothy Kilgallen. Mm-hmm. Who which I was, was not familiar with up until that point. Such a good story. Trashy tidbits again on Thursday. <laughs> I mean, we did trashy melodies and... Nightcap yeah, yeah. chat all, to you, all the all the rabbit holing. But yeah, you've been you've con- been super into these Reddit threads. I am I an asshole for loving? Am I the asshole threads? Because they're so good. Yeah, we have some huge thanks to give out for our new people who joined us on Patreon this week. A gigantic magic mirror shout out for Nicole S, Brooke, Nikki, Alex J, Jessica. Erica H, Amanda O, Megan S, Lindsay S, and Jade B. While we're talking about it, sweet Alex J got her little note card in the mail with all of her little stickers that we send out. And her husband checked the mail and was like, uh, There was a tweet. You have some splaining to do, mm-hmm. Alex. Mm-hmm. So hey to Alex and hey to hubby. Yes. Everything's legit on the up and up. We promise. We've got two big shout outs to give to Jessica B and Debbie W this week. Yep. They joined the ranks of our trash candy connoisseurs on Patreon too. Yep. Super supporters. Thank you so much. Thank you. All patrons. You don't know the amount of love we have in our heart for you. Thank you for being awesome and legit the best community that exists in the world. Yes. You're amazing. All right, trash pandas. You ready to do this? Got to take out the garbage trash candy style. Go, go, go. So, Alicia, who do you have? We're picking back up with Frankie Boy. Oh, really? Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, the one and only. Frankie Boy. Old Blue Eyes. Old Blue Eyes and his third third marriage. The singing Sinatra. With the first marriage mm-hmm. of his very young bride, 
A gal named Mia Farrow. Hmm. Wow, I feel like she's relevant this week in a lot of ways. So many ways. She really, she, the hell of a life, this one. Okay, this is a good story. Let's just do a quick check on the Trashy Divorces Depot. Where did we leave Frank the last time we saw him? Was it with Ava Gardner? He was divorced okay. from Ava Gardner, right? 57, 58, divorced at the end of the 50s. He's still hung up on Ava. He's still got pictures on his fireplace. Like, they fuck in various cities throughout the world. But his angel eyes is gone. And he's going to wrap pack it up, right, in the early 60s and have lots of fun with uh, all the single ladies, some married ones, too. We heard about a few of them this season and on Patreon as well. He'll date Lauren Bacall and dump her. He'll date Angie Dickinson and dump her. He'll date Marilyn, who ends up doing the dumping when her life tragically ends in 1962. He will also date Juliet Prowse. Okay. He wants to marry her. So Frank is getting around sure. pretty much in the same fashion that Frank always has. Like We've talked about this on Sunday and in Patreon episodes this season. Frank, remember, needs all the attention all the time from everyone, from his pack, from the ladies. He's insecure AF. Like, Old Blue Eyes does have this way of hooking up with girls whose stars are on the rise, only to make them fall madly in love with all of his need and sweet promises, Mm -hmm. I guess, and then he dumps them. Like, he uses women and he dumps them. So... The last time we checked on Frank, he was kind of rat-packing it up, just right there on the depot, located on the Las Vegas Strip, waiting for bride number three. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, Angie Dickinson was like, Frank said he never wanted to marry another actress. Well, Frank is about to. So I guess the exception here is if the actress is super hot and young and he's well not-ish. So think Henry VIII and Catherine Howard. With I was a just, lot less coercion. I was just thinking nearly every older man with a lot of money and power. Well, by all accounts, wife number three, Mia Farrow, loves the hell out of some Frank Sinatra. Even when they divorce, they see each other. They never stop seeing each other. Even when she's married to Andre Priven, they see each other. Even when she's romantically linked with Woody Allen for a fucking decade, they still see each other. They're always close. In more ways than you may imagine. So it's a hell of a story this week. Let's find out a little bit about our bride. Are you ready? Yes. Mia is an Aquarius girl. She's born February 9th, 1945. Her moon is in Capricorn, which she's got the cardinal, she's got the fixed qualities here. Because I can't, like, I've watched so much stuff when they're in it, trying to get this story together. And... I just can't figure her out. Like, she seems kind of ethereal. Like, she's a little flighty. She's a little out there. That is my impression of her as well, although I've not deep-dived on this at all. But her friends describe her so differently. So, Mia will grow up next door to legendary producer Hal Roach in Beverly Hills. Hal has a daughter, Maria. And... Maria Roach, Hal's daughter, says about Mia Farrow, who like, grew up with her. People have this impression of Mia as a flighty, airhead flower child. She's not. She gives that delicate impression, but she's a powerhouse. She can get done what needs to get done. Think about that, because it's such a weird... She's quirky. She's fruity. 
Mia is the daughter of writer, director, father John Farrow and Irish-born, beautiful actress mother Maureen O'Sullivan, oh, best known right, right. for her role of Jane in I the Tarzan see movies. in my brain, I was like, there's a Tarzan tie there. Okay. Spider webs opposite Johnny Weissmuller, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mia grows up Catholic upbringing in Beverly Hills, live next door to the Roaches, She's one of seven kids. She's the third child, but she's the oldest girl in the family. Her godparents are George Cukor, <laughs> legendary director. Her godmother is Luella Parsons. Mm, and mm, gossip columnist. Yeah. Mia will imply that Luella was chosen uh, as a, you know, little gift basket to like, please don't spill the dirt on anything that John and John is it's doing essentially not the worst strategy I've ever heard of to work the rough like, is like, will you be the godparent to sure, my new baby? My name out of the papers. So John Farrow is a notorious womanizer. He has a lot of affairs, like multitudes of affairs, which for Irish Catholic Maureen, like mostly go just whatever. You know, he drinks, he fucks around. I'm Catholic. There's no option here. But hold on. I'm a Kennedy. She's not. She's not. One of these affairs really rocks the boat in 1952. Uh, uh, Previous Trashy Divorces profilee, Ava Gardner, who at the time is married to Frank Sinatra, is getting down with John Farrow. And Maureen O'Sullivan is pissed about it. She banishes John to another bedroom with a separate entrance. Like, this is where... Knives out. Okay, is, hold up. Let me see if I understand what's happening here. Um, Frank Sinatra's wife is having an affair with his future wife, Mia Farrow's dad. Yep. Back in the day. You got it. Nailed it. Woo! In one. Spider webs. Okay. Okay, that's messed up. <laughs> Spider webs. <laughs> So at the age of nine, Mia contracts polio. She is isolated for three months in her treatment. This story has everything. Like she's quarantined three months. Mm -hmm. And this changes her. Mia really begins to develop this like hardcore compassion thing where, you know, people who suffer, like she identifies with that. She wants to help. She says this experience marks the end of her childhood. I think it did for a lot of people. Quarantine um, for three? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. At nine? Sad. Gets sadder, though, for the family. So John and Maureen and the little kids all head overseas because John's doing a movie. He's got filming, whatever. Mia's oldest brother stays in California. He dies in a plane crash October of 1958. He's like mm. 18 years old. Yikes. Dad begins to drink. Mom begins to drink. Things with her parents are getting pretty tense. There are a lot of violent arguments between them. She and her sister Prudence kind of get sent to a convent school for a while. But kids are around a lot. It's bad. It's bad with mom and dad. And again, divorce not an option. So they're going to be miserable and violent and in grief about the loss of their son. They head back to the States from overseas. Dad heads back to Beverly Hills. 
mom goes to New York. Mm. Mom is retired five years before, but mm. she can get work. And so she's going to come out of her retirement. Right. She needs the money. They're broke. They're broke AF. She like and, headed to Broadway or something? And, yeah. She yeah. heads to New York, does a show, and she's the toast of the town, star of the moment, Marina Sullivan's bat, blah, blah, blah. Okay. She will send John checks back in California. John is incapable of working. Okay. He's done. The okay. death of son so it's very bad. has yeah. crushed him. But no one in the family really misses him. So in addition to Maureen being a hit, she's also stepping out with George Abbott, who's directing her show. So one night, the phone rings. It's John Farrah. Mia answers it. And she doesn't, like, Mia doesn't want to lie to her dad. And he keeps calling and she just quits answering. She's not going to answer the phone anymore. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, there's a phone call to the home, and he's been found dead oh, with God. the telephone in his hand. Oh, my. No. That's some nightmare that fluid is, for you. Yeah. That's yeah. real stuff. Oh, that's a really sad story. It's a that's sad, sad, sad story. Like, she's 17. The family's broke. And she all she wants to do is go back to London to go to college and go to med school because she wants to be a pediatrician and help kids in Africa. And, like, you know, putting an ocean between her and that childhood might feel pretty good. That's it. Dad, before he passed away, like, does not want her acting. Like, he encourages every other pursuit besides acting. He tells her, if there's ever been a happy actress, I've never met her. So, like... I mean, he may not be wrong. It's mm. money, and the family's broke, and they're counting on Mia. So... That Irish determination, like, rolls on in. So she gets, like, a modeling gig. She gets an agent. She will land in a replacement role in the importance of being earnest. Okay. Okay. Great. Oh, also, she starts hanging out and having lunch every day with Salvador Dali. Okay. Which is nice if you can do it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, Mia Farrow really does lead an interesting life. So now she's acting, but she's a kid, right? She will audition for the part of Liesl von Trapp in The Sound of Music, which she does not get. However, she will land the role of Allison McKenzie in Peyton Place mm. when she's 19. This is Spiderweb mm-hmm. adjacent all over the place. Yep. Now she's a television star. Everything's groovy. She goes with her mom to sign the contract because she's still underage. And Mia doesn't really want to do TV. But this deal comes with a five-picture deal, movie deal, from Fox. And she's like, whoa, I'm not throwing away my shot. Right. Right? Of course I'm going to do this. So, awesome. She's 19. She's in the culture. She's ethereal and blonde and beautiful. I mean, flower power and, and all that Yeah, shit. a child of connected Hollywood stars. Exactly. and Yeah. So how do we get this May-December romance together? In this case... The Trashy Divorces Depot is moving to the Burbank Fox lot, the movie lot. 1964, she's filming and she goes to visit a buddy on a neighboring set. And there's Frank Sinatra, who is 30 years older than Mia Farrow and a contemporary of her parents. He's in this movie that she's going to visit her friend on the set of. It's called Von Ryan Express. 
She's like, that's Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I met him when I was a kid. Oh, so wait, he wasn't Uncle Frank, though, because boy, was he Uncle Frank no. to a lot of kids. So she like keeps going back to visit on the set of the film just to look at Frank Sinatra. Mm. And one day this man taps her on the shoulder because she's in her Peyton Place role. She's wearing pigtails. So she looks like she's, you know, 11 or not whatever. legal. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so uh, one of Frank's goons, I'm assuming, like taps her on the shoulder. How old are you? Excellent starter question. 19. The guy's like, you want to come in and uh, sit with Frank? The guy's like, may I see documentation? <laughs> so, of course, she wants to come over and, you know, meet Frank and, and sit with Frank. And as she does this, she's really cute and telling the story. But it's there's a there's a punchline in here somewhere for you. Um, the handle drops from her purse. So everything has fallen out. Baby jars of cat food, her wallet, like she's scrambling to pick everything up, like her retainer, because she doesn't want Frank Sinatra to touch her retainer that's lying on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, and cat food, one of us. No, she's totally one of us. us. And he's just looking at her and she looks up and like, she's like, I've never been looked at that way before. It went right through me and I was spellbound. Like it is love at first she mm-hmm. yeah whoa i'm not commenting on any particular freudian father psychosis things going on here she's hooked on frank sinatra sure she sees uh, and he apparently is hooked on her he invites her to a screening of this movie that he directed and during the movie she holds his hand and he's like okay you know so after the movie he's like hey hey baby uh you want to go out to uh, Palm Springs with me tonight? I got my private plane just sitting right there. It'll be great. And she's like, I don't have my pajamas and I have to feed my cat. <laughs> Whew, to be young. And he's like, okay, toots, uh, how about tomorrow? I'll send the plane down. You bring the cat. And bring the cat. Bring well, the cat. Cats love change. So... Oh, wait, the cat really loves this. Okay, so Mia can't sleep at all that night. And she's wondering how many jars of baby food to pack for the cat. Baby cat food. Because she doesn't know how long she's going to, like, Right. she'll need to, like, she worries about this all night. Because Frank Sinatra is kidnapping her and her pet. (laughs) How, but how long am I going to stay? How long will I be Am I going to stay overnight? She's never, she hasn't had sex. So she's like, I don't know what to do. Like, okay, but. Heading to Palm Springs the next morning with four jars of baby food for her cat because she is planning on spending the night and cat on a leash. Hop on Frank's private plane and head on out. I hope that cat was well behaved because some of those smells are just not coming out of an airplane. That poor cat really does have kind of a rough day. (laughs) So she gets... To Palm Springs, and he's showing her around the house, and she has her own room. This is where, you know, like, he's well, being all got, kinds of... Gotta put the litter box somewhere. Gentlemanly about it, and she is like, hey, we need to get a litter box for the cat. We've just been on a plane ride from... Okay. She says, we didn't last the afternoon. He looked at me. He took the cat, put the cat down. I stepped on the cat's leash so the cat wouldn't run away, and he kissed me. She was there for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Okay. I bet they sent someone out to get more cat food. Probably Yule Brenner. Because Yule Brenner's sitting out by the pool. 
Because he's there that weekend too. See a big cat guy <laughs> consoling a weepy redhead who was Frank's original date for oh the weekend until Mia was on board. Okay, but now Frank and Mia, chairman of the board, and Alice in Wonderland, and like, Pixie Fairy Child, yeah, girl from the mailroom, I, I don't even know, yeah, hanging out every weekend in Palm Springs. They see each other on the set during the week in LA, and they hang out. She has her horse sent up there. So she's riding her horse. No one knows they're a thing. Like, Frank keeps it quiet from all his buddies and his family. She doesn't tell a soul either. Like, it is double O undercover. She's younger than his daughters. But she's not like the other girls. And they're both super Twitterpated with each other. They have a terrific time. Doesn't make a damn that it's secret to her. Because she thinks he's so dreamy. Her horse goes up. She rides. He gives her jewelry and she will write him poems. I like that she's just gradually moving various mammals to his property. They take long walks together. They do crosswords by the pool. They have funny nicknames for each other. Apparently he starts calling her Angel Face. Seems original. Ava was Angel Eyes. So Angel Face, not too much of a stretch. She calls him Frankie or Charlie Brown. Okay. It's all going well enough. And they're falling in love. They're, you know, secret lovers. Okay. So Frank's 50th birthday rolls around. This would be December 1965. Right, and she's 20 or whatever. Okay, great. Mia doesn't get invited. Because mm-hmm. nobody knows yeah. Frank and Mia are a thing. But at this party... Frank gets zonked. He gets fucking tanked. So his buddies pack him up to take him back to his Palm Springs house, thinking they're going to party. Like, we'll put Frank to bed and, you know, like, we'll drink all of his liquor. Mm-hmm. Like, it'll be great. It does sound like a good plan. It's a, That's what they do all the time. Like, but whoever, pat, boom, get him home, mm-hmm. party on the boss's dime all night. Who's and, at his house when they get there? Well... A little hippie Mia Farrow is just sitting in the living room. Oh, really? And now the cat's out of the bag. I was going to say, probably with her cat. With her no. cat. The cat is out of the bag. Right. She Off the leash. Removed the cat from the bag. <laughs> do we know this cat's name? Who seems so central to this romance to me? I do not have the cat's name. God I apologize. It, I did not come across it. It's like the most important detail. <laughs> Couldn't find it. Probably write me a pharaoh. Mr. Fruzzles. Figaro. Now I kind of want to know about the cat. No, I do too. I wonder what, like, what color was the cat? What kind of cat was it? What were the funny quirks that we really are cat people? Mm-hmm. Okay, stop. Okay. Back to the story. So now that the cat is off the leash and out of the bag, they appear at an event together and become on everyone's hit list for fucking jokes. Like people suck. These are his friends, too. Like, their May-December thing shocks Hollywood, and people have a lot to say about it. Dean Martin. I have bottles of scotch older than her. Jackie Mason is doing his stand-up thing in Las Vegas and rips on them and his acts, but that comes to an end when bullets get fired through his hotel room door. Oh, God. Because you don't make fun of Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Ava Gardner. So Mia cut cuts her hair into the pixie cut. And Ava Gardner will say, I always knew Frank would end up in bed with a boy. Oh. 
Even Mia's mother, Maureen O'Sullivan, reportedly is said to have remarked, if he marries anyone, it should be me. There's a 30-year... But once they're out of the closet, like, shit gets sticky. But they're splitting their time between L.A. and Palm Springs, and people are jerks. Well, he already had a complicated reputation because of his affair with Ava Gardner followed by, like, then that didn't work. Like, yeah, okay. But now that they're interacting with others and their own sets... It's going to get a little awkward turtle. Like, all of his friends are people her parents' age. Mm -hmm. And all of his friends, she went to school with their kids. Yeah, no, she's showing up with her boyfriend who could be her dad. I mean, that's... It's 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 awkward. I'm certain. Okay, so Mia isn't even really into, like, the public things that Frank is. He will continue to appear in Vegas multiple times a year, but will also use it as his playground, too. And Mia Farrow just isn't made for that scene. She's not about sitting around and adoring Frank until the fucking wee small hours of the morning. I mean, she is, and she does do that, but it gets weird, right? There were enough signs to say, hey, maybe this isn't long-term going to work out. Like, I think they probably would have had a long-term secret affair and been very happy, but outing them really doesn't do great. Plus, he's kind of a jerk. I'm not sure if I've mentioned. So, he drinks. And when he drinks... Oh, remember he and Ava shooting guns out the... I do. Okay, so... It's some scary stuff when he drinks. There's an incident when he drives golf cart into the... Las Vegas Hotel, like the cafe at the hotel. I think we talked about this in like an Ocean's Eleven Las Vegas episode earlier this season. Because remember, there was a bunch of shit going down with Howard Hughes. And Howard Hughes like cut off his unlimited limits. Right, right. Anyway, their interests are not really the same. Frank and Mia. And Mia's like, uh, you're scaring the fuck out of me. And I think we need to go on a break. Because after that, he tries to set chairs on fire. They go on a break. Kinda. But they don't. They're not married yet, though, right? No. Okay. But they can't stay away from each other. I, uh, Nancy Jr., Frank's daughter, says Mia was like a sister. Mia was just so in love with Frank that, you know, she she endeared herself to us. They have slumber parties together. Like, they're in their early, oh, God, it's just, okay. Nancy Jr. makes some intense speculation here. And says her dad, you know, wasn't sure if they got married, it would last very long, but he didn't want her to be suffering because of him. Uh, Her name was getting bandied about in the press, and it was important to him for her to be presented as a lady. Because the heart wants what the heart wants. So naturally, these kids are going to tie the knot July 16th. 1966. I feel like you mean this kid and this <laughs> dashing older gentleman who certainly knows better. Small ceremony in Las Vegas at the Sands. No one is told anything about the wedding. Frank doesn't tell his family. They don't tell their friend. Like it is classic move. It is not an auspicious beginning. 
And it doesn't take long for things to go very wrong. So there's a few factors in play here. Frank wants his missus to be whatever kind of manic pixie dream wife he needs. Like Frank's a middle-aged man set in his ways and he's looking for something that maybe this young girl is never going to do. Stay at home and cook and adore him. And things go well enough when she's not working, but she's a working actress. So hold on to that one for a minute. About this time as well, Frank Sinatra, who has always been a vocal and active Democrat his entire life. I mean, remember Mama Dolly back as block captain for the Dems and Hoboken? Yeah. Yeah. Frank Sinatra and Ava Gardner campaigned for Adelaide Stevenson. Like Frank and the Rat Pack are all over the 1960 campaign for Kennedy. Now middle-aged Frank is shifting to be a little more conservative. He's supporting his buddy Ronnie Reagan in the uh, gubernatorial election. And isn't that war in Vietnam a terrific idea? I got nothing on that. Okay. Yeah. And not cool, right? Mia's having a hard time wrapping her brain around all of this different generations. She wants kids. He does not. She is sick of hanging out with his friends. But here's like, she's got some grit. Like she'll stand up to him. When he's like, oh, let's watch this movie that I'm in. And she's like, yeah, we've seen that five times already. Mm-hmm. That's horrible. It's We're not 20 years old, yeah. Frank. I've seen it. Also, she commits the most grievous sin of dancing with Robert Kennedy at a function. And this really pisses Frank off. So on Patreon this week, I'm going to do like this politic election follow-up where they concern the Rat Pack. But essentially, Frank gets dicked over. By John Kennedy, Frank, who has put in money and time into renovating his Mm -hmm. Palm Springs home to host Jack. But those mob ties come back to bite you. Gets dumped. So Frank is furious. There's a lot of mad happening. Hates Bobby Kennedy. Hates him, hates him, hates him, hates him. Mia dances with Bobby Kennedy. Frank is mad. Okay. So let's pull the pin out of the career thing because they're going to argue about it. He really wants her to not work at all. But they compromise, and she's like, okay, what about one movie a year? Oh, my God. And Frank's like, wait, this year, the one movie you do this year will have both of us in it, and isn't that awesome? No. So let's forget this nonsense now and have, you know, some time before that movie starts in December or whatever. Before that movie can start, she gets offered a plum ola juicy role, her first starring lead role and Rosemary's Baby, directed by hot new director and dirty, dirty man, Roman Polanski. (laughs) It's a 12-week shoot. She gets to stay in L.A. with Frank, who initially is very supportive of this idea. This is like late summer, fall 1967. They've been married a year and, you know, a month or two now. And Mia takes the role. And Roman Polanski is not a one-take wonder like Frank. And by the End of the first week of filming, they're already a week behind. Great. And the schedule's getting pushed, and 12 weeks is not going to be 12 weeks. And Frank is pissed. And no longer supporting his wife's dream of acting. She's not able to fly off to Vegas in the middle of the night because she has to be on set, right? The next morning. One night, he heads to Vegas without her. Gets smashed, gets into a fight, gets his teeth knocked out and shit. 
Frank calls, makes her promise she'll never leave him. I mean, this is classic. Yeah, yeah, classic, classic Frank move. Like this is Ava's suicide attempt. Like he's Mister Dramatic. He's manipulative to women and jealous of attention that anyone else gets, and kind of a dick bag. So Frank is demanding that she quit the movie, and Mia's like, "I'm not quitting." A number one, it's unprofessional, and if I did that, I would never work again. This movie's too, like, you can't, no. And Frank's like, hey, but, you know, we're supposed to do this movie together, and you can't do this one and that one too, so you have to quit. Frank is so pissed, he even goes to the studio head, Robert Evans, at Paramount, like, you have to wrap this up. Tries to get it, oh my god. Yeah, you need to be done filming because our movie starts... (laughs) Here, and Robert Evans is like, yeah, buddy, that is not going to happen. Yeah, we've sunk a lot of money into this so far. and that's just, mm. like Frank just can't win. And now Mia is in an impossible situation. And Frank's like, it's me or the movie. You decide. He orders her to walk off the set. And she can't and won't. And so she even goes to Robert Evans, crying like, I can't. Not do this, but I can't do this because I have to save my marriage. And he uh, ends up taking out the first hour of the cut-together Rosemary's Baby. She watches it silently. And at the end, he's like, listen, this is going to be huge. You're probably going to, you know. You want to be famous or you want to be Frank's wife? You want an Oscar? Yeah. Yeah, like you decide. And so... The Oscar doesn't come through. She will get a Golden Globe nomination for that movie. But the start date on the movie Frank and Mia are supposed to do comes and goes. And Mia is not there. Mia ends up getting replaced by Jacqueline Bissett. One day on the set of Rosemary's Baby, Frank's lawyer waltzes in and is like, Hey, little lady, I have all these divorce papers from Frank and it'd be awesome if you could just sign them. Mia's stunned. You think? Like, he hasn't called her. He hasn't talked to her. There's not been a whisper of, hey, maybe this isn't going to work. Like, he's made his... So she doesn't even read the paper. She just signs them. She gets no alimony. She will walk with a music box that he had given her and some dishes. Does she get to keep the cat? I think she keeps her cat. Mia says, like, hey, if someone wants a divorce, the marriage is over. Like, I'm... Forget this. Like, not a word. Like, big well, man. and Papa Control Pants over there maybe needed to find... Control like, maybe pants. he should have married her mother, who it sounds like had been in retirement and might have been happy to not work anymore and just yeah. take care of Frank. Big man can't handle it. But here's the dish. They never stop seeing each other. The divorce is final in August of 1968, But they're going to spend the 1968 holidays together in Palm Springs. They will continue to reconnect throughout the next decades. Because Rosemary's Baby will come out in June of 1968. And just as that's breaking and hitting big, they get divorced in August. Post-divorce, Mia is taking off with her sister Prudence to the ashram to learn meditation from the Maharishi. And hang out with the Beatles. It's cool. Frank... (laughs) <laughs> is going to Frank. He will remarry in 1976 to a lady named Barbara Marks, who was previously married to Zeppo Marks. They get hitched at the home of Walter Annenberg, 
It's very dishy. They remain married until his death in 1998. Mia? There's a whole other episode <laughs> about what happens with Mia. Oh, for sure. She will marry again in 1970 to Andre Priven after busting up his marriage when she gets pregnant. She'll be involved with Woody Allen, too, for a lot of years. And that whole thing is a shit show. Oh. And again convoluted dumpster fire another episode mm-hmm. so i'm going to try to keep this just to our lovebirds frank and mia here they never stop seeing loving being twitter pated with each other he says she is the most wonderful person i have ever known she calls him the love of her life like she's never gotten over him there also may possibly be Perhaps speculation. Proof of their love and devotion. Possibly. Uh, maybe a love child in the room. So. No one we've heard of, I'm sure. There is a, there is a tidal wave of speculation that has been going on for a while about the paternity of one of Mia's children. She will have 14 kids, four biological, 10 adopted, many with special needs, But one of these kids, Satchel Ronan, born in 1987, bears more than a passing resemblance to Frank Sinatra. Mia is asked in an interview in 2013, hey, uh, is there any, you know, is Ronan Frank's kid? And she says, possibly. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that she had addressed it. Oh, she's addressed it. More or less forthrightly. Ronan is treated like a member of the Sinatra family his whole life. Nancy Sr. cooks for him and fusses over him. Like, he is in with the Sinatra family tight. Mia is crazily attached to this kid in a different sort of soul connection kind of way. Like, he'll start college when he's 11, and Mia will drive him to Bard College 90 minutes each way. Um, They travel the world together on this, like, do-gooding mission. Like, it is an intense bond between these two, which is awesome. Nancy Jr., when hearing about the possibly comment, it's like, this is ridiculous. It's nonsense. Why would even, why would Mia even joke like that? Woody Allen has had a comment as well. In my opinion, he's my child. I think he is, but I wouldn't bet my life on it. I paid for child support for him for his whole childhood, and I don't think that's very fair if he's not mine. Also, she represented herself as a faithful person, and she certainly wasn't. Whether she actually became pregnant in an affair she had... Dramatic ellipses. I like how you made your voice deep for Woody Allen, even though... No, sure, that didn't work at that Kind of not, but... All right. (sighs) That guy... All right. So even Ronan Farrow has made a public comment via tweet after this whole dust up. He tweets, listen, we are all possibly Frank Sinatra's son. (laughs) Me and Farrow retweets it. (laughs) It was like a little boom or a wink or like a boom. Yeah. Some sort of emoji. Okay. One more thing that I will tell you. When Woody and Mia are going through all the terrible that they go through, Mia is terrified. She calls Frank. Frank picks her up. There'll be a gray sedan out front at 10 a.m. and picks her up. 
He gives her numbers of people to call in three different cities. If shit hits the fan, he's got her back and offers to send the mob to break Woody Allen's legs. (laughs) That's some love, yo. It's weird as fuck. It's weird. (laughs) It is weird love. But it seems like these two were not going to be successfully married for very long, but definitely made a long-term bond and shared a very special connection. All right. I don't even know how to do trash cans. I struggled in my story as well. I'm curious. I would give Frank Sinatra, for this divorce, 25 trash cans. The number of months that they were married before you sent your lawyer in. Without warning. Technically, the divorce takes a year because this is follows 67. So I'm going to half that. It took... 15 months, 15 trash cans for Frank Sinatra. It took 15 months for you to send your lawyer in with divorce papers when I'm on set giving birth to the Antichrist. Thanks, man. You rock. Some shit right there. (sighs) All right, 15 for Frank Sinatra. Mia Farrow on this one, she's a young, like, Mm -hmm. he should have, like, Mm -hmm. yes, she's legal, but God bless, like, it's there's definitely some trash cans that she's going to get in the Andre Priven thing and the busting up that like, but I think mostly on this one, I can't award too many. I would give her some halos for making sure that her cat was well cared for. I mean, that's it. How many jars of baby food do I bring? Mm -hmm. No, she gets halos for the cat. Okay. 15 for Frank. Okay. That's what I got. That works. And that is the trashy divorce of Mia Farrow and Frank Sinatra. All right. With more to come on Mia at a future date. Dramatic ellipses. All right. You ready to take a break? Yeah, let's hear from some sponsors or something. Cue the music. (laughs) Hey, Trash Pandas. When you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Stacy, darling, 
Jaja and our All Star was so much fun last mm-hmm. week. You're bringing us another All Star this I week. I do. I have another Trashy Divorces All Star. There, the there park. are yeah, there are more of these than um, you might think. It's weird. Anyway, this week I have uh, Larry King, broadcasting legend, and I'm calling the story Larry King and the Seven Wives and Eight Divorces. Whoa, Seven Wives, Eight Divorces? Oh, yeah, he got started early, too. Um, and the, the tie-in here, I mean, to the extent that we need one, is that in 1988, Frank Sinatra, sort of unexpectedly, because he didn't really do interviews at the time, but he appeared on Larry King Live on CNN, and right. it was his last major interview. Uh, Sinatra lived another decade, but he was pretty much out of the spotlight at that point in his life. For sure. He was apparently busy with Mia Farrow. <laughs> And Barbara. He was busy with Barbara Marks. <laughs> okay. Sinatra, as noted, is not the only reason that we here at Trashy Divorces headquarters would take note of Mr. Larry King. He was married to seven women. Unreal. He was divorced eight times. So far, <laughs> with his most recent divorce happening right now. Seriously? While this dude is hanging tough at the tender age of 86. So you know what? You are never too old for new adventures, Larry King. Let's get into it. The heart wants what the heart wants. It does. (laughs) Larry King was born Larry Zeger, November 19th, 1933. He's a Scorpio. Ah. He's a Brooklyn boy through and through. He was born into the Great Depression to immigrant parents. Mom hailed from Lithuania. And his dad was born in a city in Austria-Hungary. I looked up precisely where that would be. And it is in modern-day Ukraine. I was like, "Wow, would that be in Austria? Would that be in Hungary? No! Apparently the border stretched to Poland. Interesting. Yeah, anyway. So, not actually a very helpful place name. But, all right. So, yes. Immigrant parents. Tragically, his father died of a heart attack when Larry was nine. Oh. Uh, he has at least one sibling. So the family was in in tough financial shape sure. for the remainder. In spite of that, it sounds like Larry King had the kind of Brooklyn childhood that a lot of television and film would go on to document in great detail later as those people came of age and wrote about their childhoods. Here are some tidbits I found from Larry King's younger years that simply had to go into this episode. I can't wait. Fantastic. Go. Okay. So first of all, Sandy Koufax, famous baseball player, yeah, was one of his childhood friends. They were classmates in school. They were buddies. Oh, they cool. all ran in the same little, nice. little gang of, I don't know, Brooklynite hoodlums? I don't know. Playing in the same sandlot. They were hipsters. Now I know. No, they weren't. Okay. So once Koufax was a Brooklyn Dodger, when they were a little bit older, their whole friend group, like... Larry and his buddies, they'd like go to Dodgers games and they'd sit behind the dugout and they would like pass matzo sandwiches down to Sandy Koufax while he was like in between at bats or whatever. Like that was just what they did. It actually sounds like a very fun sort of. Apparently the rules aren't the same with baseball like they are with swimming. (laughs) Well, if you pass a sandwich to a swimmer, the pool gets really messed up. (laughs) Larry and his friends. <laughs> and sometimes at Trashy Divorces headquarters, we get the giggles. 
<laughs> Larry and his friends remember themselves as troublemakers, although their stories are so vaudevillian that it's hard to know. And honestly, I'm, I'm pretty sure there is no truth to any of them at all. I think these are all like borrowed tales that they've just... It's a semi-true story. I don't even... Believe it or not. I Yeah. So Herb Cohen is one of Larry's oldest friends, and in 1988, he was interviewed by the South Florida Sun Sentinel. I have no idea if that paper still exists. About his friend Larry King. Okay. Herb says, We came from Bensonhurst in Brooklyn, an Italian and Jewish neighborhood. We had no money. We had our candy store, our corner grocery store. We got our education from the newspapers. The New York school system regarded us as primitives. They were going to civilize. <laughs> We showed emotion. We talked with our hands. So we were always battling with authority. School was something to have fun with. And our escapades were an attempt to put some adventure into our lives, which were basically boring. So we conjured up things. All right. This is my favorite. Like what? Of their conjurings. Again, okay. I don't think this ever actually happened, but it's a great story. They have a classmate in junior high. Okay. So this is like 45, 46 is when this would happen. Kid named Mel. Mel. Maybe existed. Who knows? Kid named Mel gets tuberculosis, which was a oh, common no. thing yeah, back then. Bad. Mel gets shipped off to Arizona, where he's going to recover from because the dry air. Sure. So, little, little Herb and little Larry are like, we're, we're broke. We're, we got nothing. But I have an idea. What did they do? So they told their classmates that Mel had died and they were taking up a collection to buy flowers for the funeral. And oh my they, God. They raised the princely sum and again, like 45, 46, 47 of $15. Holy fuck. That's a lot of money. Yeah. That's a lot of from kids candy store. They're just scraping around the neighborhood. Huge sum back Poor then. Poor Mel. Poor we're Mel. We're going to miss them. Oh my God. So <laughs> the school principal sees this going on and is like, these kids are heroes. Like, this is such a sweet Angel thing boys. to do oh. for this poor family. So sweet. So the principal, according to this, I'm going to say legend, creates an award in Mel's memory. No. Like the, <gasps> the Mel tuberculosis award for common valor. I don't know what you tell 11-year-olds. Sure. No, there's an award. There's an award, so there it's has to be an award, award ceremony. ceremony. <gasps> mm -hmm. And oh, so, no. again, as Herb tells it, the principal calls this award ceremony to award. No. He and Larry, no. the first Mel Somebody Award and philanthropist, compassionate of the... fundraising, blah, 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 calls the New York Times, gets a reporter mm -mm. and a photographer mm -mm. in the building. Mm -mm. Like, we are going to honor these Holy sweet. Cow. These sweet angelic little boys raising money for this poor family. And we're mourning Mel. Oh, tears. Oh, and tears oh, for the Mel. oratory at this awards ceremony. You could not. My God, Mel was such, such a guy. And then just as they're about to call Larry and Herb up to the stage. No. Nope. Who walks into the gym? Mel. <laughs> Resurrected from the dead. Resurrected and feeling pretty perky after his bout with tuberculosis. Holy cats. <laughs> that is horrible. Okay. Definitely not dead, Mel. <laughs> Just probably what they called him the rest of his life. <laughs> um, okay. Remember that time we shook down Hoboken? <laughs> 
No, uh, that's definitely not Dead Mel. I almost got an award about him. That is hilarious. The that's a funny Times. story. I did do some basic searches on the New York Times website for stories like this in the 1940s and did not find any. You can't that go is, to press with that shit. That is not exhaustive in any way, but my guess is that this was a borrowed vaudeville bit. That story got 86 Well, yeah, it just it got lifted. But I say that partly because my grandfather, who was also a first generation American, like my grandfather used to tell stories like this all the time. So I it's taller and taller. Yeah. It's just it's a thing. There's a Dairy Girls plot that sounds similar to this where like it is one of the funniest thirty minutes I've ever seen on Yeah, (laughs) Dairy Girls is fantastic on Netflix if you are into that sort of thing. It is a charming show. Mel and the dog have risen. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> you told me. Okay. <laughs> so at some point, Larry and his buddies graduate high school. They go to enough Dodgers games. Larry decides that what he really wants to do okay. is get into radio. Well, sure. But getting into radio in New York, that is, that's a tall order. You're going to start in the mailroom and maybe one day you get a mic. It's but, not like in Hollywood where they just hand you a career. Oh, but... Have you heard of the magical land of Florida, oh. which is still trying to figure out what it's going to be? And radio has just hit in a big way there, and they need talent. Oh. So dude hops a train and... Sunny, sunny Florida. Heads on down to Florida. So he ends up at... He becomes the morning DJ at WAHR, and then a couple years later moves to WKAT. Another cat reference. Okay. So he get he gets his first talk show at KAT, and he is 25 years old. It is Miami Beach, and he is interviewing Lenny Bruce and Richard Nixon oh, wow. and Jimmy Hoffa and Ella Fitzgerald. No and way! This cast of who's who when they come to vacation in Miami. If you're a if you're a famous person, no, that's and, where you're going. Yeah, you're going to the Fountain Blue. Well, and you're gonna go talk to Larry King, this kid who's got this radio show that everyone listens to. Wow. Like, so suddenly he's just in his Can own mind, certainly. what his Rolodex looks like? Whoa. Yeah. We'll get into that a little bit. Oh. Um, <laughs> so his reputation here and his professional stature certainly grow, and that success goes straight to his head. And so here we are at the part of the story where we talk about Larry King, bad husband. Oh, enter wife one. Wife one actually was back in Brooklyn. So <gasps> oh, you just skipped over her. So there's a thing I we've talked about like girls who don't want to wait. I think he may also have been a boy who didn't want to wait. Oh, well, that's okay. nice. So at the age of 19, he marries his high school sweetheart. Okay. Frida. Frida. Uh, both of their parents, both sets of parents object to this. Uh, which is awkward to just consider that. We were really hoping Frida would marry not dead Mel. <laughs> we had our sights set on something different. Definitely not dead Mel was going to propose. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. So anyway, both sets of parents were against it. They do get, it anyway. They, yeah, well, the kids do it anyway, but the parents get it annulled. The whole thing lasts a few months. Oh, my. This is in 1952. So, you know, okay. 57 is when he heads to Florida. Okay. So there's a little gap. He doesn't often leave gaps, but there's a little gap there. In Miami, he was a young radio star in a resort town with an appetite for beautiful women. He had a brief marriage to a woman named Annette Kay in 1961. 
That's it. That's the entire length of the marriage and divorce. 1961. That's it. Oh, wait. Five seconds later, he marries a Playboy bunny named Aline Akins at a Playboy nightclub. Oh. 1961 was a very busy year. In 1961, yes. same year? I Five seconds might be generous. Married, divorced, married. In- mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's some adventure, Larry King. But, you know, don't scoff. This... His third marriage Mm -hmm. lasts more than a year. How long? More than a year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're divorced by 1963. Oh. When when he marries again, hope springs eternal for Larry King. He marries a woman named Mickey Sutphin. So in the period of three years, he's been through three wives. Let's count. (laughs) Um, we have two in 61. So there's Annette K in 61 and Aline Akins in 61 and Mickey Sutphin in 63. Yes, yes, yes. And marriage number four lasts four times longer than his previous longer, longest marriage. Um, oh, well, good on him. He's getting better. They're together till 67 before they divorce. Wow. And and then he remarries Aline, the Playboy Bonnie wife number three. (laughs) No. In 1969, they have a daughter and then divorce again in 72. Wait a minute, 59 to 70. That's long. That one lasts long. No, no, no. Um, 69 to 72. I'm so sorry. Pardon me. So. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. First marriage, 1952, annulled by the parents. So divorced in the 50s. We have five wives in the 1960s. Second marriage is 61. Third marriage is also 61. Fourth marriage is 63. 63. Fifth marriage to wife number three is 69 to 72. Fantastic. Okay. Woo. Five down. That was more complicated than I thought it would be. Larry King was strenuously enjoying the lifestyle in Miami's celebrity rich environment. So he's still in South Florida. mm -hmm. Okay. They can keep him. I mean, (laughs) sounds like he's where he belongs, to be honest. Okay. But Larry struggled to stay afloat amongst his new friends, uh, pretty much all of whom were- The Playboy Bunnies? A ton wealthier, but all the people he's interviewing- Oh, yeah. Right? Like, he's 25, 30. Like, he's- You don't make a lot of WCAT radio. I don't think WCAT was like- When you got- Four fucking alimonies to pay for. So one of his good friends down there is this financier named Lou Wolfson. And for whatever reason, Wolfson had taken a keen interest in Larry King's life. Actually, I I know why that was. It was because Larry King knew all of these powerful people. You have connections. Yes, that's exactly it. And Larry King ultimately uh, scammed this guy for a lot of money. What? Mm -hmm. So basically, it seems like King... I think you should have called this Larry King swashbuckling pirate. That's not unfair, really, as a characterization. I think there's a lot more to this story than my, like, I, there's probably a cool novel to this. Because basically this guy, Wolfson, had, he's a big finance guy, a little shady, got himself into some trouble, had like, there was a securities case against him and he had a criminal conviction and he did some time, I think. He meets Larry, who's been interviewing people like Richard Nixon. 
And they end up talking and Larry's like, you know what I could do is if you give me like 50 grand, I can have the new attorney general, John Mitchell. No. Take a look at your conviction. Maybe we can get you a pardon. Spiderwebs. So that is my supposition is that Larry King attempted to sell a pardon or attempted to purchase a pardon or attempted to facilitate the sale of a pardon. But he ended up pocketing the dude's money. So he's grifting for a lot more than $15 from Not Dead Mel. Yeah. These days. He's upped his, upped his game a little. And then Lou Wolfson walks into the gym. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Wolfson pressed charges. But more importantly, um, Wolfson called like every radio station in Miami and was like, this guy is a crook. Oh. And he stole my money. <gasps> And I'm very powerful, and you need to get rid of him. And oh. so suddenly, because he at this point he's writing a column for the local newspaper, like sure, he's really he's building a career, right? And so the, Wolfson gets him blacklisted from everything. You're joking? Hmm. Oh, nope. Yeah, he gets tossed, and he spends four years just out on the fringes. Like I think he was doing color commentary for a football team in California when. You know, again, after several years have passed, somebody's quit at the Miami station and they call him. He was just about to leave radio forever because, you know, he's probably got a lot of alimony to pay. <laughs> Some child support, maybe. Anyway, so the station in Miami calls him and is like, hey, I know things went badly with us before, but we really could use you. Can you come back? And so, woohoo, saved his career. Celebrate good times. Yeah. Come on. I mean, otherwise, yeah. nobody would have ever heard of Larry King. Interesting. All right. So his career was back on track, but he had some old debts, presumably. Um, he probably still owed Wilson some money back. Filed for bankruptcy in 78. And he divorced again his sixth time in 1983. Oh this was with Sharon Lepore, whom he had married in 1976. So that one... It's like he's getting better at it as he goes. He's He'd started bad. He's improving over time. In between frauds. Oh, it's broads and frauds. That's the life of Larry King. That is the sunny side of the street right there. <clears throat> okay. Sharon was a math teacher and a television production assistant. And beyond that, I could not really find any information out about her. Okay. Wife six. Boom. In the books. Okay. So he stayed single for several years this time and did not marry again until 1989 to businesswoman Julie Alexander, wife number seven. Marriage number seven? Because he married one woman twice. Whatever. I have the number seven next to her because I'm trying to keep track of these. No, this is, this is a perfect system. <laughs> well, can't do better than perfect. This one seems like they planned it in a uniquely bad way. Because they've they never lived in the same city, and they planned never to live in the same cities. Oh, and apparently they figured a Philadelphia D.C. commute wasn't going to be too much for their relationship, and they were separated that go? in under a year, and the divorce was finalized in 1992. Wow! But, and it's very important that you keep this in mind. Larry King does not give up. He's an adventurer adventurer so 1995 he's been dating an actress named deanna lund for five weeks oh my god and he pulls out a ring no nope. and she says yes 
He's Ted Mosby. And then I love you. And then she thinks about it a little bit. They never did marry. It's a broken engagement. Sean, his seventh wife. Eighth. Eighth. I've lost count. His last, his final. Nope. Because his most recent. Seven wives, eight divorces. So he's been through six wives, seven divorces. This This is is wife wife number seven, marriage number eight. Correct. You got it. So rough. On track. And that is the trashy divorces mathematics portion of the test. (laughs) Um, Okay. So, oh my God. So Sean was a singer and a TV host when they met and they married in a hospital room. What? Ahead of Larry going in for surgery for a blocked blood vessel. Oh, my. So, like his father, Larry developed heart disease as an adult, and he's written a couple books about living with heart disease. And weirdly, like, his... Because, again, his dad died when he was nine. This has right. hung over him his whole he's life. He's 86. That's Yeah. Remarkable. Well, and he had his first heart attack in 1987, I oh, think. Oh, wow. So, he's lived with heart disease for a long time now. Like, it's... I. A plus on that, Larry. Whatever job, whatever buddy. you've done, like super proud of you. So Sean is twenty six years younger than her now estranged husband, and they had two children together who I think are both now either college age or like young adults. Wow. Yeah. In two thousand and seven, Larry and Sean celebrated their first decade together, with Sean joking that she was, quote, the only wife to have lasted into the two digits. Dude, that's congratulations. That's amazing. <laughs> and then in 2010, they filed for divorce. Oh, oh, no. People Magazine reported rumors. I hate to even go here. That the cause of the split was an affair between Larry and Sean's sister. Mm-mm. The sister strenuously denied any such thing had happened, telling Access Hollywood, I am not the reason for this. Holy and they did not, in fact, divorce. Um, oh. So they, yeah, they put something back together. And then more recently. Oh. What? You have a, you you look, your brain is. There's a lot going on in this story. It, it gets weirder. <sighs> okay. You ready? You need to take a okay, break. Okay, so still with Sean. File for divorce. Nope. We're still going strong. Yep. 2010. You fucked my sister, but somehow I've forgiven you. Or not. Allegedly. We're big into caveats here. I think you mean caveats. Okay, I, I go do, ahead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 2016. Okay. 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 Page six blared the headline, Larry King's wife allegedly having affair. <gasps> Repeating a story first published no. in the National Enquirer. <laughs> That's trustworthy. High quality rag. (laughs) In a subsequent story, they identified her alleged paramour. Who, who, who? Not dead Mel. (laughs) Wouldn't that be funny? (laughs) In a subsequent story, they identified her alleged paramour as public speaking guru Richard Green, who met Sean and Larry when he appeared on their podcast, Back and Forth with Sean and Larry. No. Yes. A podcast broke up their marriage. That's never happened in the history of this show, I don't think. That's a trashy divorce's first. I think it's the first. Wow. And this is why you don't have guests on your podcast, people. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
So, all right. So these stories were out there. Larry King certainly saw them. He was apparently very upset about those stories, but did not file for divorce at the time. Okay. But yeah, it seems like things have been pretty tough for a few years. So very sadly, Larry King's brother passed away in October of 2017 in New York City. He went to New York from, they live in Los Angeles. He went to New York for the memorial solo. Wife didn't go. So a month later, after his brother's death, he celebrated his 84th birthday. Again, heading to New York, hanging out with brother's widow, his old friend, Herbie Cohen with the oh, nice. $15 oh, Herb. nearly dead Mel racket. Um, anyway, wife did not go for his birthday oh. after his brother's memorial. Yeah. So, yes, again, they officially filed for divorce last August. On the outs. After 22 sometimes tumultuous years together. Well, that's the longest one. Good it on is him. very long. And yeah, more upsettingly, perhaps, is that Larry suffered a stroke months before the announcement and was in a coma for several weeks afterward. This, I think, happened in March of 2019. And it seems like maybe that brush with mortality, like, kind of got him to where he wanted to tie up. Like, I can imagine if you're in your 80s and you've been living with heart disease for several decades. Sure. Maybe you're just going to ride it out with your shaky marriage spouse. But apparently he opted not to go that route. Larry King, legendary broadcaster who made the leap from local radio in the 50s to national broadcasting in the 80s to television in the 80s, hosting Larry King Live on CNN from 85 to 2010. He's even doing new media now. He's got the Larry King Now show on Hulu. Retire, man. He's never going to. He no, loves he loves what a, he does. That no, that's a Scorpio man. Scorpio mm, yeah. men will always work. Oh yeah. He's he's won Peabody Awards for radio and television, cable ace awards. He's an inductee in the National Radio Hall of Fame, the Broadcasters Hall of Fame. He's interviewed every notable person of like the last seventy years. Sure. And while his track record with love is absolutely appalling, he does love his work and has said he plans to never retire. Larry King, welcome to the Trashy Divorces All-Star Hall of Fame. Congratulations, man. Another thing you can hang in your mantle. We don't actually have a physical prize for you. Oh, but... I'll make a certificate. <laughs> we need to make a certificate after this. We should ship them out. Um, like, I don't know. What do you think it classifies like, to be an all-star? How many divorces do you need to have? Because Liz Taylor, for sure, all-star. Jaja, all-star. Larry King, all-star. Lana Turner, all-star. I'm going to say like seven. That works for me. I think we can. Lucky number seven. I think depending on the trashiness factor, we can probably go as low as five, but. It has to be super trashy. It has to be super. Yeah. There has to be some major. Okay. I mean, I gave him a combined. um, I I gave him 16 microphone shaped trash cans, (sighs) one for each of his marriages and divorces. So, but I may also have gotten the math wrong there. It's so hard to tell. Seven, Seven wives, wives, eight, eight divorces. Eight divorces, yeah. Wow. I think. It's either 14 or 16 or 15 if you... It's a lot. Oh, and I guess technically one was an annulment, so... Right. Listeners, let us know at trashydivorces at gmail.com how many trash cans you think and how many marriages this constitutes. And... <laughs> no, I definitely think we can go Dirty Dozen. Let's go uh, 13. Okay. 
I think bakers everywhere are horrified that you just called that a dirty dozen. That's a baker's dozen, but for Larry King, it's a dirty dozen. That's fair. We'll give him 13 trash cans. That works. There you go. That's my story for the week. Wow. Yeah. Out of the park. (laughs) That dude's an all-star. Brooklyn boy. Hipster. I'm going to be dreaming about not dead Mel like Weekend at Bernie's for so long now. That was amazing. All right. That wraps up another week of Trashy Divorces. Fantastic. What's coming up on Patreon this week? Ooh, that's a great question. Sunday, we're going to be doing a nightcap chat for our Trash Candy Connoisseurs. I got a Trashy Melodies coming out on Monday. Ooh, first week of the month, the first Tuesday is Trashier Tutors, which is always good. We'll continue our Ocean's Eleven series on Wednesday, Trashy Tidbits Thursday, and I might actually get in an Ask Alicia About the Stars. Oh, look at you. This week. I like to do them kind of in the first week because it'll space out with our beginning of the new Zodiac calendar starting with Aries in the third week of March. Okay. Right, and I'll be launching my new ASMR series, Touching Your Face with Dirty Hands. (laughs) It's a mess out there. Wash your hands. Keep it trashy, but not so trashy that you don't wash your hands. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Indeed. Keep it trashy for us with your very clean hands and lack of touching your face. (laughs) Until we see you next week. Go forth and be trashy. Keep it quarantined. (laughs) (laughs) Lead the life of a pirate. With cats on a leash. Cheers, friends. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.